Hey everybody, Mark here. Thanks so much for tuning in. This was a fun message because it is our live teaching from the campus pastor, Josh Robertson. Enjoy. Well, good morning, church. Let's give it up for Don, our amazing elder. Well, as we get started, I want to share a quick story. Uh, at our home, we have a playroom, and in our playroom, we have a couch, and it, it kind of butts up against this half wall. And uh, what my two children, our six and three-year-old daughters, love to do is to stand on top of this half wall and jump onto the couch and do somersaults and do cartwheels. Not my best parenting decision, but they love it. It's great. Um, and so they call it their Olympics. They're like, Daddy, come watch me do our Olympics. And this last week, I was in the kitchen, and my daughters are jumping off the couch. They're doing their Olympics, and we hear a loud... And as a parent, you don't want to react right away. You're like, tears, everyone okay? And so I'm just waiting, and then all of a sudden, I quickly realize what happened. Our three-year-old daughter, Magnolia, in doing her Olympics, fell between the crack between our couch and this half wall. And so there's no tears, there was no crying, and so I said, uh, Maggie, do you need help? And she says, no, I got it. And then a couple minutes, pause, and then she goes, I think I got it. And then a couple more moments pass, and she says, I don't got it. And then a couple more moments, and this whole time I'm just in the kitchen like, oh, Jesus, please let her get herself out. She finally goes, I don't got it. I'm stuck, and I need help. And so we haven't done Olympics in our house uh, in quite a while. But the point being, often in life when we feel like we're stuck, or we know that we're stuck, we think that the solution is to just try harder or to push through it, just like my daughter Maggie. If I'm, I, I got this. I'm just going to push through. I got it. We think the solution is to try harder, to do more, and to just push through it. And some ways that we do this in our life is we might prioritize a new value with our schedule and our calendar. We might wake up at 4.30 in the morning now to exercise because we want to value our health. Uh, we might do this in our workplace where we go, I'm going to join a new company with a new focus or have a new boss, uh, a new team, a new goal. We change things thinking if we just try harder or we prioritize our calendar or we do something new, it will help us get unstuck. But what do we do if we feel like we are spiritually stuck? Is it the same rules? Is it the same concept if we feel like we're stuck spiritually, is the solution to do more, to work harder, to try something new like a new church or a new life group, to try a little bit harder and to just push through? There is a common reason why we get spiritually stuck, and the good news is that there is a common way to get out of it. And at the end of our time today, I'm going to give us four ways that we can remain spiritually unstuck if you feel like you're not stuck, or four ways for you to get unstuck if you feel like your faith has grown stale and stagnant. And we're going to explore those together so that if you are someone who is spiritually curious, you're someone who is a new Christian, or if you have been a Christian for decades, you can continue to grow in your faith so that it is never stale never boring, and you would never say, I am stuck. And here is the spoiler. The solution to remaining unstuck is a holy life requires your whole life. 
We're gonna be sitting in 1 Peter chapter one today, and you can read it in your Bibles. You can uh, follow along in a Bible app, or you can listen to me read it. I'm, uh, I'm often told that I have a very soothing, jazz-like voice, so I can just read it for us. Uh, so we're gonna be looking at 1 Peter one, but first, the question that we have to answer is why do we get spiritually stuck? What is the cause? And one of the biggest reasons why we find ourselves spiritually stuck is because we have intentionally or even unintentionally compartmentalized our lives. And as a result, we have complicated our lives. One of the most influential people in my life was my youth pastor. When I was 16, Dan was in his 50s, and Dan had a, uh, an awesome mullet and he wore pink Converse's every single day, and he drove this lowered little Datsun truck, and Dan was awesome. And as I began my spiritual journey really exploring what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, admittedly, I was not drawn to a life with Jesus. I was drawn to being like Dan. And one of the most wonderful things about Dan was that every single person who experienced Dan got the same version of Dan, got the same exact person. So when we would eat at restaurants, how Dan interacted with the waiter, the waitress, the host, is he would tell silly, corny jokes. He was kind, he was generous, he was compassionate. When Dan interacted with his wife, Shirley, same Dan, telling the same silly, corny jokes, but kind, compassionate, generous. At church, as a youth pastor, same Dan. Uh, all four summers of my high school life, I worked at the U.S. Forest Service, and Dan was my boss, and he actually got me the job. And at the workplace, Dan was the same version of Dan. This concept of being the same person, no matter who you're around or no matter where you find yourself, is one of the solutions to being spiritually unstuck that First Peter talks about. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, and this is really important, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The problem in answering this question, why do we get spiritually stuck? Why does our faith grow stale? The reason is because we try to compartmentalize our holy and spiritual life into pockets of our lives without incorporating it into all of our life. And 1 Peter 1 says that if we are to be holy, what does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart. Your entire being, your entire existence is set apart for God and for his purposes and his will. And so when we are holy, we are called to be holy in every aspect of our lives, not pockets, but all of our life. When we try to compartmentalize our lives, what happens is we exhaust ourselves we actually make ourselves stuck. So why do we get stuck? It's a decision. It's a result of decisions that we are making. We are the root of our problem. We create different versions of ourselves. We create a work Josh. We create a husband Josh, a dad Josh, a neighbor Josh, a college friend Josh, a pastor Josh. 
We create these different versions of ourselves because we want to be all things to all people. We want to be who we think those people need us to be or that place needs us to be or who they want us to be. And what happens is we create different versions of ourselves and as a result, it drains us. We don't have the freedom and the joy that comes with being confident in who you are and who God created you to be. And we don't just do this in our relationships. We do this with our things, with our possessions, with our disciplines. How often when we open up our computers to pay our bills, do we invite God into the process of, God, how are you calling me to pay my bills this, this month? We do this in our work where often we will take our faith into our office or into our cubicle, but we don't take it into the boardroom with us because we're afraid that it might change how people view or see us. We might do this in our marriage where we're afraid if we talk about spiritual things that our spouse might treat us differently. We're afraid to do this in our relationship with our kids because they might ask us a spiritual question we don't have the answer to. And so we compartmentalize our relationships and our behaviors and our disciplines and our identity. But what scripture says is that if we are to be holy, to be set apart for God and for his purposes, we need to look through the lens of Jesus at every aspect of our life, everyone, every place, and everything about our life. And so a compartmentalized life is a complicated life. The beautiful thing about Dan is no matter who came in contact with Dan, they got the same version of him. They would describe him as a man of integrity who was generous, who loved Jesus, who was a little quirky and weird, who needed a haircut, but was kind and loving and loved Jesus with all of his heart. And for Dan, there was a sense of freedom and joy that only he could experience because he knew who he was as a Christ follower. And there was freedom. We often restrict our faith to being an us and a Jesus thing in a sacred place like at a dinner table with a journal and with our Bible. It's an us and Jesus thing or in our car with worship music on. That is where our spiritual self can freely exist rather than incorporating it into every aspect of our lives and who we are. And the result is we become stuck because we are creating boundaries for our spiritual self to exist. John Mark Comer, a pastor, author, theologian, says, all too often, there is a massive disconnect between spiritual life and life. As we try to compartmentalize our faith into places and relationships and disciplines that we feel are safe or that require some form of faith, we create different versions of ourselves. So how do we break through this? How do we decompartmentalize our lives so that our holy life is our whole life? We need to ask ourselves, are there aspects of our life that we are not inviting Jesus into? That might be your marriage where you need to call and apologize to your spouse and say, I'm sorry that I haven't intentionally brought God into this. It might be into how you do your homework and how you find the answers to your homework. It might be uh, how you carry yourself in work and how you interact with that neighbor who mows their lawn at 10 p.m. and you want to yell at them, but how do you bring Jesus into that relationship? You need to ask yourself, are there relationships and disciplines and places that you have intentionally not brought Jesus out of fear or worry or concern? A holy life requires your whole life. 
It's often said that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom, and, and what we mean by that is that the values and the priorities and the pace of the world is different than the priorities and the values and the pace that God encourages Christ's followers to have, meaning it's upside-down. When we feel stuck, the kingdom of uh, the world tells us to work harder. Just push through. It's just a season of work. It's just a difficult season in your marriage. Push through. It's going to get easier. Or it tells you to try something new. Go to a new church, a new life group. Go to a new uh, job or find a new boss or hire someone new onto your team or declare a new major. This is how the midlife crisis was formed, right? So it's just buy a new car. Try a new hobby. Get a new haircut. Uh, there was a, a famous video years, years ago of a famous actor who I think uh, really uh, communicates what the world encourages you to do if you feel stuck. How do we achieve our hopes and our dreams if you feel stuck? And so I want us to check out this video real quick. Do it! Just do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it. Make your dreams come true. Just do it. Some people dream of success while you're going to wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. You should get to the point where anyone else would quit, and you're not going to stop there. No, what are you waiting for? Do it! Just do it! Yes, you can! Just do it! If you're tired of starting over, stop giving up. I'm not really sure what that was at the end. But I'm going to tell our worship pastor, Stan, Sam, to start doing that every week. Uh, but the main idea being the values and the pace and the priorities of this world says when you feel stuck, just do it. Just push through. Just, you can give it to yourself. You can work hard enough to achieve your hopes and your dreams. But when we feel stuck spiritually, what scripture actually encourages us to do is to not just do it, not to push through, not to just do more. It invites us to slow down. It invites us to lean into our Savior and to trust that he is already doing it. 1 Peter 1 continues and it says, He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. A holy life apart from God is impossible. And what this passage is telling us is that we can try to live a holy life based on our own works and our own talents and our own strengths and our own connections and our own networks and our own experiences, but the result is that we are always going to fall flat because holiness is only found through a connection with he who is holy, which is Jesus. You can feel spiritually stuck and say, if I just read my Bible more, if I go to more church gatherings, if I just pray more, when we do that, what we're saying is that the solution is still you. 
But biblically, what we see from the author Peter here is becoming spiritually unstuck is realizing that holiness without God is impossible because you are not your savior. You are not your source of hope. Jesus is. Essentially, in order for us to continue to grow, for our faith to not grow stagnant, to not be boring, to not be stuck, we can only continue to grow when we realize that God must be increased in our life. It requires us to power down so that Christ and his authority over our life can increase. A while back, I was in a pastor's cohort, which was a beautiful gift for me in that season of life. And this was pastors all throughout the country, and we came together. And I remember that first week of this cohort, we shared our names, and we shared some ministry celebrations, some life celebrations, some ministry celebrations, and ministry frustrations. I don't know if you knew this, but sometimes ministry can be frustrating. Um, That's a secret. But I remember sitting next to, at the time, a stranger who has now become a really close friend, and he began to just share. And it was extremely heartbreaking. And the pastor next to me started to share and he said, "Um, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm reading every book on church health that I can get my hands on. I'm reading books on church leadership. And it seems like no matter what I do and what I implement, there is someone in the church that is unhappy with me. My marriage continues to be stuck, and so we've started going on dates every single week. But no matter how many dates I put on the calendar, our marriage is still stuck. And he said, it seems like my kids who are teenagers are just strangers that we occasionally pass in the night at the dinner table. And I don't know them, and they don't know me. And it seems like nothing I do is working. And our coach in this cohort leaned in and said, thank you so much for sharing. Would you like us to just listen or would you like some ideas? And this pastor said, I need all the ideas. I need help. And this coach leaned in and in the most loving and kind way possible said, you are not the solution, but you have made all of these things dependent on you. A holy life requires us to accept that we cannot live a holy life, a full life without God. It is impossible. You are not the solution. A holy life requires you to live a life that contradicts the pace and the values of this world. It requires you to give up authority and to have faith in God, not in yourself. It requires you to trust him and to seek his wisdom, his guidance, to trust that he is already going before you. He's working out the details of things that have not even happened yet in your life. It is not just doing it and pushing through, but it is having faith that God is already doing it and that he is responsible for your life. C.S. Lewis says that God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. A holy life, the life that we're called to and the characteristics that our soul craves is not found apart from God. It's impossible. We mentioned earlier that often when we feel stuck, the solution is like that of my daughter Magnolia, which is to try harder or to push through, or maybe even to try something new. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, 
my dad, uh, my dad, his entire life has had black hair, but a bright white goatee and one white line of hair down the very middle, all the way to the back. And so my brothers and I, because we're jerks, will say, "Dad's skunk line," um, and he loved that so much. But I remember he went into the restroom one time, and he came out, and he dyed his hair black. And it was just black goatee, black hair, and my mom, her jaw hit the ground, and she looked at my dad, whose name is Ron, and she says, Ronald, what did you do? This idea of wanting something new, potentially fixing something. This is something in my own life. This, this, uh, this week, I was laying in bed, and I was scrolling through my phone, and my wife leans over, and she says, what are you looking at? I said, well, I'm looking at Facebook Marketplace. I think I want to buy a hot rod and restore it myself. And my wife says, you know how to do that? I said, no, but that's not the point, Elisa. <laughs> when we feel stuck, we might think a new hairstyle or a new hobby or a new interest will fix us. It will help us get unstuck, that idea of newness. But 1 Peter 1 continues and says, now that you have purified yourselves, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. What the author Peter here is trying to communicate is that a holy life is incomplete if it is not accompanied by a genuine love for God and for his people. To be a Christian means that we not only bring our faith into our everyday life, into all of the places that God takes us, into all of our disciplines and priorities of our everyday life, but it means that we now are responsible for bringing our life to everyone that God has strategically placed around us. And so the good news is that when we choose to pursue a holy life with our whole life, when we have made the decision not to compartmentalize our, our faith, but to say this is just who I am no matter where I'm at or who I'm with, when we've made the decision to accept that we are not the solution to being stuck, God is, but we are the problem, when we acknowledge that our love for Jesus, our holy life means that we are invited to partner with Christ and his mission, which is to make his love known to the rest of the world. What happens is we now have a daily mission of making Jesus known to the rest of the world. And the result is exactly what our soul craves. Every day, an enduring, imperishable life that is never stale, never boring it, because we now have a purpose. It is a calling that we get to do in partnership with Jesus to share his love with the rest of the world in all of the places he has strategically placed you in, into your marriage, into the kids that he has entrusted you with, into the workplace that, that, with the job that he got you, into the neighborhood where he allowed you to find a house to rent or to buy. You now have a purpose. So every day there is something new because God is inviting you to tell someone new about him. The recently passed away author, Pastor Tim Keller, said, no one has ever been deeply changed by an act of the will. The only thing that can reforge and change a life at its root is love. Well, when we have learned that being spiritually stuck, being stagnant, is the result of focusing on the wrong person, ourselves, and the wrong things, 
values of this world, we quickly can decide and discover what the solution is. It's to focus on the right things, which is the mission that God invites us to, and to focus on the right person, which is God. Because he is what matters most. And the only thing that can change your life, the only thing that can prepare you for what lies ahead for tomorrow is a relationship with God. Rick Warren says that there is no self-help program that can change your heart. Only God can do that. As I look back on my own spiritual story, I want to share some, some key moments in my life, and they'll make sense here in a minute, but I became a Christian at 16 years old, and at 16, all that I understood was that there was someone named Jesus who loved me and went to a cross with me in mind, and now as a result, he wants to have a relationship with me, and that was enough for me. To know that someone loved me enough to take an action at 16 was enough. I didn't have all the answers, but at that stage in life, that was enough. At 19 years old, I started my first full-time ministry experience, and that was a season where every single week when I was surrounded by a handful of middle and high school students, I would throw my hands up in the air and say, God, I have no idea what I am doing. And it was that season where God really reminded me and challenged me to say, you are just a vessel that I'm using to do my work. It's not about you. At 23, I married my wife, Elisa, and people will often describe this thing called the honeymoon phase in their marriage. That was uh, non-existent in our marriage. Our first two years were really hard. I don't know if that's your story, but it was really, really hard. And it was me daily asking, I got, I got my wife's permission to share that. This isn't a surprise. We're still good, right? Perfect. Uh, but at 23, when my wife, and Elisa, and I were married, it was me daily having to ask God, I have no idea how to love your daughter, your, creator, your creation, my wife, Elisa. And it was me having to lean into God and him showing me how to love this person who is different than me in almost every single way. After several years of marriage, my wife and I were struggling with infertility, which if that's a part of your story, I'm sorry. It's extremely difficult. It's extremely heartbreaking. But after years and years and years and after having four miscarriages, uh, this, that season and that moment in my story was me having to accept that I couldn't fix it and that the brokenness that sin has on our bodies is heartbreaking. But we had to acknowledge that we needed help. And so my wife and I met with an infertility doctor, which if that is a part of your story, you know that it's in a, a very expensive process. And when we had our first meeting with our doctor, there was a box on a form where you can write in your occupation. And I'm always hesitant to write in pastor because I want to compartmentalize my life. And I'm afraid that if someone knows what I do, it might change the type of care that I receive from my doctor, which is kind of a big deal. But on that day, I decided to write in pastor. And our doctor shared that he was a Christian. And I'm convinced to this day that he made some exceptions for our process of having our daughter Sadie because our entire process of having our daughter Sadie was our copay of $20. And it was in that moment in that season that God showed me that I am not the answer. I'm not the solution. I'm not the one responsible for fixing things. In 2016, we had our first daughter, Sadie, and I quickly learned how impatient and selfish of a person I am, as now a human being is responsible 
I am responsible for this person. And it was that season of me saying, God, how am I and my wife supposed to raise this person on such little sleep? I got a lot of sleep. On such little sleep for my wife, just being honest. Um, And it was God reminding me and showing me that if you continue to make everything in your life important without prioritizing new things, then you can't. And then lastly, in 2019, my wife and I were pastors at a local church here in San Jose, and we loved our church. But our pastors, our leadership, and there was something happening in us where we felt like God was saying, you need to go and lead a church. And we did not want to. And so in 2019, through prayer, through mentorship, through support, God led us to Menlo. And if you are familiar with the last three and a half years of us as a church, this has been a challenging season. But it's in this season that God has reminded us that this is a season where he has grown and shaped and developed us as people. And it's in the last three and a half years that God has surrounded us with friends and family that have helped my daughters and my wife and I experience and see Jesus in new ways. My point to all of this and through sharing some key moments in my life is this. In every one of your stories, there are moments of challenge. There are moments where you have been confused, when you have wanted to throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I do not understand. God, what are you doing? There have been moments where you have felt unequipped, where you have felt less than, where you have felt tired. And it was in those key moments where my wife and I had to say, we are choosing not to focus on ourselves or our strengths, but to focus on God because he is what matters most. It's been in those, and we haven't always done that, but in those key moments when we chose to focus on what matters most, what we discovered is that our faith and our trust in Jesus grew more established and prepared us for what happened next. 16-year-old Josh could never handle what today Josh has handled. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. (laughs) But every season prepares you for what's next. A holy life requires your whole life. And a holy life is one that will endure the ups and the downs of this world because you know, because historically God has been with you, he has comforted you, he has helped you go through it, not because you have pushed through it, but because God has carried you through it and it has prepared you for what is going to happen next. So as we close our time, I think many of us in this room just need this reminder. You do not have to remain spiritually stuck. Many of you have got to the place where you are content with the life that you are living and you believe that there is not more, but there is. This holy life, this call to all Christ followers is an, ex- is an invitation to experience freedom and joy and peace with God in our everyday lives, the big and the small things. And there is no midlife crisis required. You don't have to buy a hot rod. You don't have to dye your hair. The call to a holy life is making the decision to surrender your whole life, not a compartmentalized one. It is a call to turn away from yourself and to turn towards our Savior who is the source of hope. So where do we go from here? At the beginning of our time, I said that I was going to give you four ways that you can get spiritually unstuck 
or four ways that maybe you've already mastered these and you can remain spiritually unstuck. But the hope is, whether you're someone who's here today and you're spiritually curious, you're not a Christian, you're a new Christian, or if you've been a a Christian for decades, these things apply to all of us. The first one is you need to acknowledge that there is more. The mystery of God has not been solved by you. It has not been solved by anyone. There is more of God for you to discover. Do not be content with your spiritual life now, but hunger and thirst for more. Explore and pursue more of God. The second one is you need to decompartmentalize your life. You have put up walls and boundaries and barriers for your spiritual self to exist. And I'm sure that there have been really good reasons why you have done that to feel safe or a sense of security or comfort. But it is time to tear down those walls and allow your holy life to be your only life. And that might mean that you need to talk to your spouse and apologize and say, I am so sorry that I have not prioritized God in our marriage. It might mean that at bedtime you need to incorporate prayer with your kids so that they know that spirituality and God is a crucial part of their lives. It might mean that you need to take your spiritual life from your cubicle and your office into the boardroom. It might mean that that neighbor you've been praying for, that they would stop doing that thing that they're doing, that you might need to actually go and engage and have a conversation with them. It might mean that when you pay your bills each month that you pray before you do that and invite God to show you what to do with your money. It might mean you need to open up your calendar and Outlook or Google and say, where am I prioritizing God in my every day? You need to rip down the walls that you have allowed your spiritual life to exist so that your holy life is your only life. The third one is that you need to power down and give God control. What are the things in your life that you're holding on tightly because you're afraid if you drop them, the world is going to fall apart. That could be your career, your marriage. Could be your relationships. What are the things that God is saying, you can trust me with this. And you need to drop it and trust that God is already taking care of it. And then lastly, you need to focus on you and God. Accepting that you cannot change yourself You are not the savior of your life, only God is. So how can you today, tomorrow, every day grow in your faith and understanding of who God is and what he has done for you? And how can you accept this invitation that is gonna make every day exciting and new, which is the mission that God has given you to make your workplace, your family, your community, your neighbors know that there is a savior named Jesus who loves them. Church, you are invited to live a holy life. And I just want to say, I am still in process of this, but I can say, trust me, it is worth your whole life. Let me pray. God, we love you and we're so thankful for who you are, how you feel about us, and Lord, that you are in control. We pray that as we leave today, that maybe there is one idea one thought, Lord, that you want to challenge us with, that you want us to sit on this week, maybe even something you're inviting us to do, to think differently about. God, we love you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.